Greetings and salutations to all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another edition of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from not-so-sunny Tanawanda, New York. And today I'm coming at you from Anchor.fm. We are also uh, sitting here on Google Podcasts and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Free Radio, Beacon, Pocket Casts, and obviously, as I said, Anchor.fm. Uh, welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, we are growing, and uh, you know, every uh, month, where every week, I should say, uh, we seem to be getting a little bit uh, bigger, a little bit bigger. Thank you very much. Um, I want to thank everyone for your support and tuning in. And remember, please donate to help support the show. Uh, help support our mission, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford. It is greatly appreciated, and it helps me push back on the nonsense while providing sound science and conservation news and commentary. Um, we're looking for sponsors pretty soon, but again, please donate if you can. Help us uh, grow this show and help us bring the news of the day to you. All right, well... Uh, speaking of the news of the day, uh, you know, this past Saturday was May 1st. Hooray, hooray for the 1st of May. Uh, we've got a lot of opening days that happened. Uh, you know, we had walleye open up on May 1st, as well as Northern Pike. Uh, the traditional trophy bass season on Lake Erie opened up as well on May 1st. And um, I think probably the biggest opener that we had was the spring turkey season, which opened May 1st, runs through May 31st in uh, New York State. Uh, you can harvest uh, gobblers or toms only, jakes only, uh, and you can hunt from a half hour before sunrise to 12 noon. And, uh, you know, it was a, a, a tough weekend. Uh, it was a little bit chilly on the opener on Saturday morning. Uh, some folks uh, woke up to some snow on the ground. I know that dreaded S word, but, uh, you know, the good news is that that cooler temperatures have kind of kept the black flies down, kind of kept the biting insects down. Uh, so that's good news for the hunters out there. Still, it was a, a fairly quiet woods from what I understand from my friends. I did not hunt the opener myself. Uh, I was actually out uh, doing a little bit of pike fishing down at Quaker Lake and uh, was happy to catch a few pike as well as uh, a couple of big bass and a really giant bullhead. Uh, the osprey that were flying around fishing on Saturday was, were just tremendous. They were really breathtaking. I actually had an osprey, which is also a, a kind of a sea eagle, uh, actually swoop down and pluck a dead sucker chub off the water about three feet from me. Uh, kind of scared the jeepers out of me a little bit, but uh, really kind of a special day. Uh, did have a, a good uh, a good day of fishing, and uh, I think the Ospreys had a, probably a better day than I did. Um, all right, circling back to uh, the turkey season, we did have the youth hunt uh, that happened the weekend before, the uh, 24th and 25th of April, and uh, there were many youths that did get out, uh, you know, taken out with their mentors. And uh, there were definitely some uh, memories made, uh, even though a lot of the birds, from what I'm hearing, are coming in silent. Most of the birds, uh, uh, dominant toms and such, uh, have their hens. They've got their initial harem now already set up. Uh, when they move in silent like that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a, an, an interesting hunt. You've got to stay on your toes, but you've also got to watch your movement. You know, a turkey's eyesight is just absolutely wicked it's a thousand times sharper than ours they see very vivid colors uh, you, know, you got a very very challenging wary game bird there um, so you got to keep your eyes open and you know sometimes when the birds are silent <clears throat> you know the the principles of less is more when it comes to calling uh, you know really may make the difference you can call too much and you can put that turkey on alert they can say yeah you know that doesn't sound like a turkey to me uh, but you've got all month. Uh, I heard yesterday was a little bit better. I know that, that Saturday it was pretty quiet in Allegheny State Park, and I was out there uh, just right around 6.30, quarter to 7, so it had been, you know, a good 40 minutes into the shooting hours. I hadn't heard anything on the hill I hadn't, and uh, didn't hear any shots. 
Uh, but, you know, it was a, a chilly morning, and, uh, you know, it was certainly fun to be out there casting a line. A um, couple of things, because we did hear about uh, an incident over the weekend where a hunter shot another hunter who was sitting and calling. Uh, shot at him. I, I don't know if they, they hit him. I think they did. Um, you know, bird shot. You know, not, it's a nasty thing. Uh, some some safety tips, folks. Uh, you know, and again, there's a lot of new hunters out in the woods. Uh, COVID, COVID, COVID did draw a, a tremendous and drive a tremendous number of newbies getting into the woods. Their instruction that they received may not have been, uh, you know, with that hands-on, uh, addressing specific questions, having the instructor there to note uh, body language and, uh, you know, maybe some frustration to focus a little bit more on, uh, you know, certain elements of safety. But spring turkey hunting, you know, you never stalk a spring turkey. Those guys who were out there and, uh, you know, heard somebody calling, they tried to sneak up on the turkey. And that's something that really isn't something that you want to do. Uh, you're never going to sneak up on a turkey. You're only asking for trouble. Uh, it's the fastest way really to get yourself shot in the spring is to try to stalk turkeys. It's just not a thing to do. Um, you know, you can use, uh, your safety orange vest to help, uh, show that you're in an area by hanging it up in the tree near you. Uh, you can also take some orange tape and do the same thing to let other hunters in the area know that's the cue, the visual cue that you are there. Uh, if it's not moving around, it's not, uh, you know, at, at eye level for the turkeys, you know, it's not going to cause a problem. Um, but sometimes that's a real good idea to do. Uh, you know, give your, give your fellow hunters a chance to understand that, that you may be out there. Uh, you know, also, it's easier to call a turkey uphill than it is to call a turkey downhill. Just letting you know. Um, and use your call sparingly. And sometimes you may not want to call at all. Uh, you know, again, these birds may be on, you know, already have a harem uh, coming down off roost. They may just give a soft putt. Uh, they may just not come in at all uh, in terms of uh, any kind of noise. They, will, they may just sneak in on you. And, uh, you know, again, just uh, try to be wary and, and, and try to be uh, uh, as safe as you can and enjoy the season. Another thing that's going on right now and I wanted to touch base with uh, uh, is the fact that we have a lot of ticks that have uh, really blossomed. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but uh, over the past 10 years, uh, we've seen an increase in Lyme disease across New York State, especially in western New York. And these are transmitted by the black leg tick, also known as the deer tick. Uh, this is due to the fact that we have more wildlife uh, than we have had in a long, long time, real close to human populations. And this is, although a lot of people really like to see wildlife in their backyard, uh, especially living so close to the suburbs and close, so close to the cities, uh, you know, it is kind of special to be able to wake up in the morning and maybe see, uh, you know, some white-tailed deer in the backyard or uh, you know, different types of birds that are coming into the feeders and such. I mean, it, it is really cool. I get it. Uh, but, you know, that comes with the downside of them bringing their illnesses, bringing the diseases, bringing parasites in close proximity to people. And the black leg tick is certainly one of them. Uh, <clears throat> the Lyme disease bacteria is actually uh, found in the white-footed mouse. And we've got a lot more rodents than ever before. Uh, you know, the Rails to Trails projects have, uh, you know, demolishing the uh, hedgerows and, and wood piles and such that, that mark and litter the, uh, the old rail beds, uh, putting in trails and, and eliminating those cover areas, you know, pushing the rodents out. Uh, you know, they're not going anywhere, but they're certainly adapting to us. Uh, if that tick where, you know, the tick is, the babies are called nymphs, if that nymph feeds for the first time, on a white-footed nymph or white-footed uh, mouse, the chances are very high that it's going to be a carrier of Lyme disease. Uh, unlike dog ticks, which are pretty visible, they're good size. Uh, the the black leg tick or the deer tick is not. In fact, you know this is the time of year right now where the the uh, nymphs are hatching. Uh, they're looking for their first meal, and we're talking about a tick the size of a poppy seed or maybe a, a fine ground flake of black pepper. Very difficult to spot. 
Um, and these are the dangerous ones, unfortunately. Now, a tick doesn't jump. It doesn't fly. They crawl a little bit, but they really, what they like to do is latch on to something that is cruising by. Uh, they're totally blind, but they detect carbon dioxide. And all warm-blooded creatures exhale carbon dioxide. They detect that. They're going to move towards it. And they will also move upwards. Once they latch onto a, a prospective host, they're going to move up and they're going to try to find a nice quiet place that they're not going to be reached by the host and noticed by the host so they can feed. Uh, how can you prevent exposure? Well, the number uh, one way to do it to start is to wear repellents. Uh, a couple kind of repellents that are out there that work really well. Uh, number one is permethrin for your outerwear. Permethrin is uh, kind of dangerous for uh, fish. <clears throat> Obviously, you're not going to be swimming when you're using permethrin, but uh, be aware that you know permethrin can bind to the gills of fish and cause them to not be able to breathe. <clears throat> that is uh, something that you know you don't want to be dumping a bottle of uh, you know Sawyer permethrin into a creek or something. Uh, it also is not very good when it's wet for cats. Uh, but once it's dry, it's completely harmless to people and pets, including the cats and dogs and such. Uh, but, you know, be aware of that. When you're treating your outerwear, you want to spray your boots, your, your uh, overalls or your bibs, your jacket, your gloves, your hat. Do it outside in your garage and let it hang and let it completely dry before use. Uh, the permethrin Sawyer makes a really good product. You can get it at Dick's. You can get it at Gander Outdoors. You can get it at Cabela's. Walmart carries it in their in their uh, their camping section. Uh, very powerful stuff. Uh, will last on your outerwear through six washings or five or six weeks. Uh, it is pretty much kryptonite to the uh, the ticks themselves. Um, it will basically attach itself to the tick when they're walking on your clothing it'll kill the tick and won't just repel it um, on your skin you know since permethrin it, it works when it's dry when it's wet not so much that's not what you use on your skin uh, the best thing to use on your skin is something called picaridin p-i-c-a-r-a-d-i-n picaridin uh, repel makes a really good product it's typically scent free so it's a really good thing to use year-round especially if you're a sportsman you like to deer hunt uh, in the fall when ticks are still active they're maybe feeding up for winter time um, you know permethrin on your your skin is better than DEET it doesn't give a scent but it it is a better repellent for ticks not necessarily for mosquitoes not necessarily for black flies but for, for ticks, picaridin is really the top uh, uh, repellent. Again, on your skin, it'll give you roughly eight hours of protection. Uh, you can purchase it the same place that you purchased the permethrin. Uh, when you get home, you know, remove all your outerwear outside and uh, take a shower. You know, that a lot of times the ticks aren't embedding yet. They may be crawling on you. You'll be able to rinse them off when you take a good, strong shower. Uh, and have your partner, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, check you for ticks, kind of like that song, I want to check you for ticks. Uh, get yourself a small, really microscopic-looking thin tweezers. They sell them in, uh, in various uh, stores, pet stores and such will have them to extract ticks. Again, they got to be a very fine head on it in order to grab those really small ticks and get a good handle on them to pull them straight up. You don't go at an angle. You pull them straight up 90 degrees from your skin if you happen to find one that's been latched on. Um, you know, remember that dogs and, and cats can also get Lyme disease. Uh, pay attention to that, and you'll have a much better experience out in the woods. And if you do suspect that you've been bit by a tick that is carrying Lyme disease, see your doctor as soon as possible. Lyme disease, once it is established, becomes chronic. You can't get rid of it. Um, but if you can catch it early enough, you can uh, cure it up right away. Well, we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about uh, fallout from Sturgeon Point.
And welcome back, everybody, to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tanawanda, New York. Not so sunny today. Um, you know, we we had this big meeting a couple weeks ago down in the town of Evans to talk about Sturgeon Point Marina and the problems that are there. Uh, there have not been any plans set forth yet. Um, not surprising, but disappointingly, um, Senator Chuck Schumer has not delivered the money that he said he would, even though he got this big dog and pony show going on. And, you know, we're going to get the emergency funds and get them repurposed from U.S. Army Corps of Engineers so we can have this opened up. Uh, opening day of walleye season came and went, and it's still in the same state. Uh, Supervisor Hosler is, you know, looking to push and get the federal dollars to bail uh, town of Evans is a uh, lack of action and neglect out. Um, you know, they do have a liability issue with this uh, safe harbor being inaccessible, especially now with the walleye season now coming into full swing. You're going to have a lot of guys out on that lake right now fishing at night. Uh, you know, the, the daytime trolling, it takes a little while to kick up as the water temperature comes up, but we still got some pretty cold water out there. Uh, guys are going to be out night fishing for the walleye, and they do not have this safe harbor to depend upon. Uh, <clears throat> some uh, recent other developments, however, uh, which is good news, is that Congressman Chris Jacobs uh, has moved forward to request a community project grant. Uh, Congressman, through, I believe, one of the COVID, COVID, COVID relief deals, uh, has... Uh, the opportunity to apply for grants to support up to 10 different community projects. And uh, Congressman Jacobs has selected Sturgeon Point uh, for rehab, renewal, etc. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much money is being looked for, but it's enough to cover the rebuild, the redesign, uh, maybe the expansion, the, certainly all the repairs. Uh, he's even thrown in the $200,000 that... Uh, you know, Town of Evans is crying for, for an economic impact study as if they need to know that their economy will be impacted when they uh, keep this place open and promote and bring people outside the area to this destination. Um, you know, there's enough data. I know I provided enough data to the county and to the state on this stuff uh, over the last 15 years, 16 years of my outdoors career. Uh, you know, apparently they need to, to see it again and again and again to tell them the same thing uh, before they finally act on it. Uh, nevertheless, thank you, uh, Congressman Jacobs. Now let's see if uh, Schumer can get this initial dredging done and uh, if we can get the, the money from uh, this community project, uh, you know, we might be cooking with gas. Uh, Supervisor Hosler is pretty much written off this year. Uh, she's trying to get uh, positioned for next year. And if this is truly going to be something that is fixed, uh, see, I don't see any plans. I have no troubles, and I'm sure that the anglers of western New York would have no troubles uh, with the uh, marina being shut down for a year, provided the plans are in place to get the construction going this year. So next year, it's ready to rock. There hasn't been any plans released. Uh, this is just more of the same from a failed uh, Democrat administration. You know, it seems like that's something that is common with Democrats. I don't understand why. I used to be a Democrat. Um, but, you know, they never get anything done for the good of the people, despite screaming that they, uh, um, that they, that they do and they claim that they're for the little guy. They're not. They're not. Uh, in other news, we'd like to reach out and give a hearty thank you to Erie County Legislator John Mills. He is uh, working his uh, proverbial tail off uh, for the sportsmen and women to get Erie County to pass local ordinance to capitalize upon the uh, youth deer hunting pilot program to allow 12 and 13 year olds to hunt deer under supervision with their mentor using a firearm. Uh, thank you, thank you very much, uh, Legislator Mills. Uh, the, the Erie County sportsmen and women are behind you. I am urging all of the Erie County sportsmen and women uh, to contact the county legislature and the county executive to make sure this lo important local law gets passed before June so 
Southern Erie County can be included in the haunting syllabus this year when it is printed, letting kids know and parents know that they can come to Southern Erie County. You can go to Collins, North Collins, uh, Springville, um, Holland, Colden, uh, Eden, those areas uh, to hunt uh, white-tailed deer uh, with your mentor. We welcome you. And, uh, you know, we want to make sure that you can learn the proper ways and the safest ways to hunt and pass this thing along. You kids are the future stewards of our wildlife and our wild treasures. And, uh, you know, we want you guys involved in that. Uh, so thank you very much, Legislator Mills. In other news, we've got some uh, Second Amendment news that's uh, breaking that's pretty important that could uh, impact uh uh, sportsmen and women, and certainly uh, firearms enthusiasts and patriots just wanting to embrace their Second Amendment. First thing I want to talk about is, uh, you know, obviously New York State has legalized, quote-unquote, legalized uh, recreational marijuana use. Uh, folks, if you believe now you can smoke a little weed and play with firearms, uh, federally the law hasn't changed and you're in violation of federal law. Guns and drugs, like alcohol and drugs, they just don't mix, uh, with the obvious difference being marijuana is federally illegal. It's still a Schedule I prohibited substance. And when you purchase a firearm and you go through your NICS checks, there is a question on the questionnaire that does ask about illegal drug use. Uh, if you enter into a New York State-approved dispensary or you get your... Uh, medical marijuana card or whatever it may be, you know, you then try to purchase a firearm or if you have a pistol permit that gets cross-referenced from the pistol permit database, you're going to lose your firearms, folks. So just realize that, you know, just because they, the governor's decided to, to make smoking weed legal, it doesn't mean that uh, you no longer have to worry about this from a federal side. Um, I personally think it's just another way to creatively grab your guns, but that's just me. You can check out the firearms laws, the federal firearms laws for yourself. Please don't take my word for it, but be careful. And if you do go into a, a dispensary, you do register it with a dispensary, they happen to cross-reference your name, um, driver's license in there, and now you've got your lifetime sportsman's license on there, well, you might be getting a visit because you have a hunting license that's now accessible through the DMV database, and they're going to come and check because they said, hey, you know what, you popped up on this dispensary. Do you have firearms? Well, we got to take them because it's illegal to have firearms and use um, even though it's a legal drug in New York and illegal drug federally. Uh, thank you very much. Um, understand that, folks. Uh, the other big news, the real good news here, is that the U.S. Supreme Court has taken up a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett. Uh, this is a major, major Second Amendment case. This has been kind of moving its way through the courts and has been hoped that this is the case that the uh, Supreme Court would take, and this has to do with gaining a concealed carry or concealed weapons permit, carry concealed weapons, CCW, uh, needing a reason to justify that um, you need the CCW. You have, you have a special self-defense need that says, hey, I've got to carry concealed, and uh, it's beyond just, you know, taking it to go out hunting or target shooting. Um, I carry cash on me, I do night deposits or whatever. Uh, some of the counties in New York, although this is a state law, some counties don't enforce it, some counties do. Um, you have to show good cause to get a CCW permit rather than you have the Second Amendment right as an American to keep and bear arms. You know, keep them is one thing, bear them is another. Both of them are part of the Second Amendment. And, uh, you know, this does appear to be a complete violation of your constitutional rights. There are other states that have this similar type of law, like Maryland and Virginia. Um, I believe Hawaii also has a, a similar type of law. But based on the precedents that were set uh, with the, the court cases and the decisions in Heller versus D.C. or McDonald versus Chicago, uh, where the establishment of the Second Amendment is an individual right was done, and there is no constitutional authority for any local government, state government, or the federal government to deny you your ability to own firearms, keep them in your home. This now takes it to the next level. 
and uh, we're hopeful that this should be obviously a, a slam dunk. Um, clearly, you don't need to get permission to exercise your rights. If you need permission from the government, it's not a right. Uh, <clears throat> that has been upheld time and again across other rights as well, and it's high time we, we hold it up for this. Now, this does not mean that the pistol permit law in New York State could be overturned. Uh, this is specific to the carried concealed weapon permit part of the law, uh, and you can bet your bottom dollar that once this uh, decision comes down from the high court, uh, if it comes as expected and, you know, predicting what the, the, the Supreme Court's going to do is difficult to do, um, they, they're typically going to be very narrow in their decisions. Uh, they have had kind of a hands-off approach to the Second Amendment since the Heller v. D.C. and uh, McDonald versus Chicago decisions came down. Nevertheless, uh, if this decision comes down as it should and throws out that uh, need a, a reason to prove or have special self-defense needs, that gets tossed out. You can expect that the anti-gun folks who are already trying to use their emotional, well, there's been some shootings and, and the emotions of the, of, the, of the country are sad and we don't need this. This is provocative. It's going to hurt the feelings of others. There is no better time to protect the rights of law-abiding American citizens than when you have problems and crises that are perceived within the nation. That's when you fall back on the Constitution, and that's when you defend the rights. You don't push that down the road or ignore rights being trampled on, denied, completely usurped to feel better. That's nonsense, people. Um, but you can expect wholeheartedly that once this, this decision comes down, if it comes down the way uh, we believe it will, uh, that the rhetoric to pack the court is going to ramp up again and you're going to see all the, the bloviations and all the screaming and, oh, my God, it'll happen in Democrat areas, not in Republican areas. It's going to happen in Democrat-controlled areas where all these things happen as they're protesting the Democrat systemic racist based policies that have been in play for 60 plus years of Democrat rule. You know, people kind of forget about that, uh, but I sure don't. These places that have these these protests and these problems and this quote-unquote systemic racism are the places that Democrats have been controlling up in the Rust Belt and in the Great Lakes Basin, the big cities, the Motor City, the, the you know, this is where the Democrat power has been. And these are where the places that they're having the supposed problems that need to be fixed by the Democrats that broke it in the first place. Expect they're going to be screaming, folks. But, you know, that's good news to see. And hopefully we will be able to... Um, be able to see some some relief for the for the uh, law-abiding people on their rights and embracing their rights in this nation. Uh, you know, speaking of the systemic racism, you know, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, President Joe Biden delivered his first address to the joint session of Congress. They didn't call it a State of the Union. That's kind of amazing, but um, in his address, it you know was full of a, a number of lies. From the assault weapons ban reduced crime, um, it didn't, it increased crime, the 1994 assault weapons ban under Clinton, that caused crime to skyrocket, it did not have the effect that was claimed by Joe Biden, his nose grew 15 feet when he made that statement. Um, the response to it was given, the Republican response was given by uh, North Carolina United States Senator Tim Scott, and he is an African American man. Uh, he has been through what he calls he's gone from cotton to Congress. Uh, he has seen racism and he has persevered. And uh, as typical in pop, proper progressive form, as soon as he got done, the calls were he's an Uncle Tom and uh, or Uncle Tim. That was what they called him. Um, you know, just insulting, showing the full racism of the left intolerance. They can't believe that, you know, how dare a, a, a black man uh, have a different belief than what our plantation sets out for them. Pretty amazing, folks. Pretty amazing. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break here at the bottom of the hour. And when we come back, we've got more things to discuss, like Senator Borello's moves to protect our fresh water. 
And welcome back, sportsmen and women, to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport. Uh, as I mentioned before, we took the break at the bottom of the hour. Uh, State Senator George Borello from Chautauqua County uh, has introduced legislation. Uh, the legislation, the bill number is S6314, S6314 which is calling for the moratorium on permanent and semi-permanent um, offshore wind turbine development in any fresh water of New York State. This includes the Great Lakes waters of Erie and Ontario. This also includes lakes like Chautauqua Lake, the Finger Lakes, Oneida Lake, Black Lake, Great Sacandaga Lake, Lake Champlain, Lake George, any place that these uh goofballs believe that they could possibly get uh spinning monuments to stupidity installed to generate um wind energy the unreliable unpredictable uh bane of the industrial grid um he has put forth this uh this uh very important piece of legislation in the new york state senate it's currently in the environmental conservation committee uh and you know i want to thank him for this right now it's a one house bill um i am certainly urging uh the uh, people the, the the assembly pick this up uh this should be a bipartisan bill folks uh this should not be democrat this should not be republican this is fresh water and if any of us remember and recall the dark days of environment the polluting the industrial polluting of our great lakes uh, we would understand that, uh, you know, they're disturbing the bottom of that lake, especially Lake Erie, is just something that we really ought not do. Uh, according to the EPA, there are 362 different chemical contaminants that found their way into the Great Lakes through the industrial age and the dumping from 1922 or 23 onward to 1967. Of uh, 362 different chemicals, only about a third of them have actually been uh, evaluated for impacts on health of humans and wildlife alike. Uh, there were 11 uh, contaminants of incredible concern that were identified by the EPA in the 1960s that needed to be uh, remediated, isolated, cleaned up, etc. These things are still at the bottom of the lake. All the lakes have these contaminants down there. Um, it's just that through a twist of uh, a twist of nature and the shallowness of Lake Erie, that a sand cap has been able to cover and cut off all of these contaminants, which are well known that even though they may be small in quantity, maybe even difficult to measure in the Great Lakes, it has been acknowledged that a lot of these do what's called biomagnify. They get into the phytoplankton and the zooplankton, and as uh, creatures up higher on the food chain consume the contaminated foodstuffs, these uh, contaminants, such as polychlorinated biphenyls uh, or PCBs, uh, murex, uh, hexachlorobenzenes, dioxins, furans, these things will accumulate and magnify as they move up the food chain. So by the time they get into a game fish, in the fatty tissues, you've got a lot of contaminants in there that may be, uh, you know, you didn't detect in the environment at that level. It shows that it builds up. Uh, other things that build up too, by the way, are the pharmaceuticals like the ingredients, active ingredients and antidepressants. Those are also you know, substances that biomagnify people. But we want to take a look at you know, the, the history of the Great Lakes, you know, with these 362 different chemicals, but 11 of them, including alkylated lead, uh, being on the on the lake bottom, we don't want to stir this stuff up. Uh, this includes the newly discovered polyfluoral alkyl and perfluoral alkyl substances, or PFAS. These things are also widespread across the bottom of the lake. Uh, these are chemicals that are commonly used in making things such as paints and dyes, pizza boxes and stain removers, certain plastic products. Uh, you know, industries along Lake Erie have long used uh, the polyfluoroalkyl and perfluoroalkyl substances to make these common products. 
and they're also used in making firefighting products called aqueous film forming foam which is now the subject of a massive firefighters lawsuit of uh, the PFAS substances down at the bottom of Lake Erie these are the same chemicals that were detected in the water supply for the village of Mayville back December 2020 forced the closure of the three artesian wells you cannot clean this stuff out once it's there uh, that found its way in from the fire training grounds nearby and they were working with aqueous film forming foam uh, this stuff quickly ran off through the groundwater into the artesian wells forced the shutdowns no bueno these are highly toxic highly carcinogenic substances that you get your exposure through skin contact and contaminated drinking water and these things are down at the bottom of the lake cut off by the this uh, uh, sand cap that has been allowed to build up since 1970 uh, why do we want to disturb that we don't uh, especially when you consider the fact that a power plant that doesn't deliver electrical energy 24 7 365 to the grid is not a power plant and cannot be used in the industrial electrical grid uh, you know it, it it begs to ask the question why are we jeopardizing our fresh water George Borello was addressing that um, but he doesn't address the low frequency noise that um, would also accompany these uh, operational wind turbines uh, each wind turbine creates low frequency noise uh, low frequency noise or infrasound is a weapon of war back in the early 1990s when the US Navy was testing out their low frequency active sonar which is the new type of sonar to detect the modern stealth running submarines uh, really bad things were observed when marine mammals such as right whales and pilot whales encountered this uh, field of noise uh, those particular whales lost their ability to navigate and they beached themselves some miles away on different islands beaked whales uh, their their behavior was impacted completely uh, when they stopped feeding and singing and diving uh, they got hit by this noise and they basically froze in their tracks if you will uh, researchers uh, believe that the noise actually sounded like their chief predator the killer whale or the orca uh, a study was done on uh, offshore wind uh, operational noise and such a study on offshore wind farms 2006 on fishes and invertebrates uh, North Atlantic uh, wind factory off the coast of Germany done by Cowrie limited uh, found that the operational noise from these wind turbines displaces fish that have a fully gas filled swim bladder of up to three miles from each uh, operational wind turbine uh, this is the same stuff that has been seen over at Block Island and the five wind turbines out there in Rhode Island. Uh, that offshore wind farm, which is needing more repairs, by the way, um, far short of a 20-year life cycle, uh, the Atlantic cod is nowhere to be found. And these were rich uh, fishing grounds for Atlantic cod at one time. But the Atlantic cod having a fully gas-filled swim bladder is encountering this low frequency noise it's creating an echo which is masking its surroundings and they're displacing they're practicing avoidance um, you know they found that the Atlantic salmon was also impacted although not to the distance uh, that the cod were uh, they're partially gas filled swim bladder nevertheless would pick up this interference and uh, you know within a mile or so from these 1.5 megawatt operational turbines uh, they were displaced so you know these are similar to the rainbow trout um, the lake trout etc and if they're also displaced from getting into their spawning areas whether they're streams or the, the spawning shoals in the case of lake trout uh, you know we're not doing a good thing to them uh, what's interesting is that the signals that that sound it, unlike the original contaminants um, you know these, these things take time to build up as soon as you turn on infrasound it's there and it's already doing its thing and there were some uh, additional studies that were done um, when there's no spatial escape what happens when these fishes are are hit with low frequency noise and without spatial escape it really drives them nuts and even once that noise is turned off the impacts and the symptoms that they exhibited uh, you know with lethargy uh, a inability to navigate swimming around aimlessly etc um, it could last up to two weeks after that uh, 
after that that stimuli was removed. So you got to wonder, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we wanting to introduce these things? Thank you, George Borello, for your common sense and your wisdom to try to block this stuff. There is so much that is problematic with it. The physical displacement, creating siltation changes, that's going to erode away further at the sand cap. Uh, so with, you know, exposure of, of contaminants via trenching and such, um, it's going to continue on once those stanchions are there, uh, and it's just going to continually poison the, dr the drinking water and harm the life within the lake itself. Um, the impacts to uh, Homeland Security are well known. They cause a radar echo. Uh, this is an international body of water. There's human trafficking, smuggling, drug smuggling, etc. happening all the time along this border. And uh, if we can't see what's going on, we can't defend our border. Uh, so it's a national security issue. And, you know, back uh, at Earth Day 2021, the Ontario Environmental Minister, Yurik, firmly reiterated the extension of Ontario's uh, moratorium on wind development in the Great Lakes, uh, stating that, you know, these things, uh, these wind turbines are well-known polluters of the environment. They leak a lot of oil. They got 400 gallons of uh, lubricants and gear oil that are contained within the nacelle, and they leak, and they got to be replenished. And having these leaky things in our fresh water is no bueno. Uh, we know that they kill uh, birds and bats, um, eagles and, and waterfowl uh, indiscriminately. Um, it doesn't matter where they're sighted, they're going to they're gonna cause problems. Uh, and it's all for nothing. They do not generate any kind of uh, substantial electricity that can be used by the industrial grid. And that is true. It's always been true. And it'll never change because of the nature of the wind itself. Uh, you know, the science behind the grid is clear, and this type of folly should never be entertained, not in our fresh water, not in our waters of life. So kudos, kudos to Senator George Borrello. Um, I'm urging everybody to contact their own legislator, contact the Senate NCON Committee, contact the Assembly NCON Committee, and push to support S6314. Uh, the kids not yet born deserve this. This is true justice. We don't want to screw up their fresh water like ours was screwed up by our parents and grandparents before us. Let's make sure we pass on a healthy ecosystem. A Ramsar designation has long uh, in the making that we've got 50 years after the lake was declared dead. Uh, we ought not be killing life on earth uh, to save it from plant food. That's what carbon dioxide is, is plant food. And especially when we have alternatives. Uh, you know, the New York Power Authority uh, has noted that the Niagara Power Project has space for two additional big turbines. Uh, we've got 7,000 non-powered or unpowered dams across New York State that could be converted to, to generating grid-friendly electrical energy. We should be developing out nuclear thorium reactors. Uh, we just closed, uh, New York State stupidly closed the Indian Point um, uh, the nuclear plant uh, a few days ago, late last week, we now have two nuclear plants. That's our base load power. Nuclear provides any given day 30% of our electrical energy. We don't have any way to make that up other than more imports. And, of course, the Great Lakes itself supports over 56,000 jobs across the U.S. and Canada, sport fishing, boating, etc. Good paying jobs that actually give back to the protections of the lake. You're not going to find any of this, um, you know, from wind energy. And so, you know, kudos to Senator Borello. We full, full, fully support you. Fully support you. Well, we're going to take one more quick break here, folks. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be wrapping it up. And 
and welcome back to We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. My name is Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, coming from you from not so sunny Tanawanda, New York. Uh, you know, at this point, I want to touch about touch on the the, the history of Lake Erie uh, because there are a lot of people that have uh, obviously come and gone uh, that are totally detached and unaware of our industrial blight that we did to this lake uh, so you know lake erie has always been the treasure of the great lakes it's the shallowest of the great lakes um, it has a max depth of 210 feet uh, whereas you look at uh, lakes like lake superior or lake ontario having depths that exceed a thousand foot uh, you know its surface area is uh, you know not very big, but it's very fertile. It has always been fertile. In fact, during the days when the industrial polluting had just begun, just after World War I concluded and the Industrial Revolution really took off, um, <clears throat> the commercial fishery, and that at the time, you know, recreational fishery really wasn't a thing in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, we, it really was uh, commercial fishing and you had a lot of the different uh, important species of the day, like the yellow perch and the blue pike and ciscos, which are lake herring, uh, whitefish, etc. cetera. Uh, these commercially important fish, um, you know, there was a big commercial fishery across the Great Lakes, but year in and year out, Lake Erie would account for uh, approximately 50% of the total tonnage that was caught out of the Great Lakes commercially. So Lake Erie would make up uh, 75,000 tons, and then the other four Great Lakes would make up another 75,000 tons. Uh, this continued on much through the 1950s until such time as the alarm bells were really going off. Um, even though Stanley Spesiak, a retired jeweler from Buffalo, New York, the man who was really credited with saving the Great Lakes and his plight and his, his fight against the polluting of the Buffalo River, uh, you know, he he brought these alarm bells, uh, you know, back in the 30s and 40s. And it was pretty much dismissed out of hand by the Army Corps of Engineers and others, uh, as he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, the solution to pollution is dilution. We've got, you know, eight quadrillion gallons aggregately in the Great Lakes Basin. There's no way we're going to possibly, possibly, no way whatsoever, uh, ever pollute these lakes. Uh, we found out that was completely inaccurate uh, and we've had you know suffering populations on account uh, studies on the impacts of pollution actually began in the late 1930s uh, there were studies that were starting to be done of the pollution that was you know in the Buffalo River what it was having uh, impacts to the people that were living along the river uh, you know if you actually went boating up that river uh, you couldn't stay up there with the uh, stench and the vapors that were coming off the water could actually sicken people. Um, you didn't see the water through the if the oily, thick, slick, black gunk that was floating on the top. Um, the stink of the industrial sludge, even to this day, you know, I can remember the smell like it was yesterday. And you know, the Buffalo Water Night, Buffalo River, uh, and Buffalo Niagara water keepers, I should say. Uh, has recently uh, started, I believe, or finished up their final phase of some cleanup area of areas of concern, AOCs, on the Buffalo River. And when those dredges were pulling that muck and, and gunk off the bottom, if you were anywhere down there watching it and the wind was right, you would smell that stench. Uh, absolutely disgusting. Uh, fortunately, they're taking the stuff away. They, they took it to uh, containment areas on land so it can't get into the uh, the water tables and, and into the lake again. But this is just disgusting. This is what we saw every single year. Thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of cubic yards of contaminated sludge dredged out, not just from the Buffalo River, but from ports all along Lake Erie, taken out two, three miles into the open waters and just dumped there. Uh, this is the stuff that, that caused a lot of problems uh, with MS and lupus and cancers in our western New York area. We have, you know, famously have pockets of these, uh, you know, higher incidence than normal diseases, and these things are coming from the water. 
Fortunately, over the last 50 years, that sand cap has cut it off. And even the New York State Department of Health and their tissue sampling of fish in Lake Erie have found that the contaminants that were once uh, something that prompted uh, advisories saying do not eat any fish, um, now you can eat some of the fish out of the lake. In fact, all of the fish can be eaten at one meal a month from everybody except, uh, you know, women of childbearing age and uh, kids. But that's not all the fish. You know, you can eat walleye, you can eat yellow perch, and you can have that one meal a month like you can with all other fish. Uh, it is an amazing testimony to how we have cleaned this lake up and how nature itself has helped clean up after this, you know, dark, dark period of greed and poisoning of our Great Lakes. Um, but sadly, you know, like back in the day when, you know, you had populations growing throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s, especially throughout the 50s when the New York State Thruway system, the Eisenhower Thruway, was being built, and uh, those were the good old days of Bethlehem Steel. Um, you know, those those problems that, that started arising uh, with the fisheries and seeing the, the problems, the, the mayflies disappearing, the increases in the caddisfly hatches and the allergens that those brought and the, the impacts to respiratory problems and distress that people had on account of those. Um, you know, these things really started... Uh, percolating in the 50s and in the, the early 60s, but people, you know, really had a hard time connecting those dots. Um, it's it's sad to note that, you know, the the economics of the day of forcing municipalities or or just having municipalities completely ignore the increased number of people and the increased sewage and the runoff and, and the, the pollutants that were coming in, the nutrient loading that was also coming in, not just the industrial dumping, but the ina inadequate sewer systems, inadequate wastewater systems um, that led to, you know, hypoxia or low uh, oxygen levels in the waters that, that further pressured and further killed you know, desired game fish and such. Uh, it's, it's really sad to know that 50 years later, we're still there. You know, we had... Uh, you know, a lot of effort in the 60s and early 70s to modernize and increase the capacity of our storms, sewers, and our wastewater sewers, and our, you know, new wastewater treatment plants being built in the 70s. Um, but once again, the politicians have gone to sleep, and they have not maintained, uh, they have not increased the capacity to keep pace with the changing usage of water, with uh, new strip malls, with, uh, uh, new subdivisions and, and housing complexes, etc. Uh, in fact, they just do what they did back then. They budget. The, the towns and municipalities budget for the fines that are going to be levied on them when they report that they've had a sewage spill. Uh, it is absolutely breathtaking. You know, the National Pollution Elimination Discharge, Discharge Elimination System, NPDES, um, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's good intentions because it finds you and then you have money to clean up, but it doesn't really do much in terms of uh, forcing the hand to not pollute in the first place. Um, oftentimes, you know, increasing the uh, capacity of a sewer system means, you know, inconveniencing businesses and such along the roads where the, you know, you got to tear up to get to these pipes. And we get it, that's expensive. But that doesn't mean you put your head in the sand and say, you know, where it's easier for us just to budget for all these overflows rather than stop these things from getting in the, into the lakes themselves. You know, we may not have the threats today from our uh, industrial pollution and chemical pollution, but we do from biological and pharmaceutical pollution. In fact, today, over 50% of Americans are on at least one prescription drug full time, and these things are running into the waters. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, you know, substances like antidepressants that are prescribed all the time now, you know, for whether kids that have ADD or, you know, you've got a high anxiety or, or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, these antidepressants build up, they biomagnify. This was detected in, uh, in the Emerald Shiners. Uh, by Buff State when they were, you know, doing walleye telemetry studies and they started looking at the diet of the walleye and they just decided, well, let's test these emerald shiners and see. And they found that the brain material in the emerald shiners had 
um, chemical levels of these antidepressants that were higher than the environment surrounding them. That means it biomagnifies. So, you know, this is uh, the red flags are, are certainly running up the flagpole again. Um, only these chemicals and, and these substances and microplastics, etc., they're different than what they were back 50 years ago, but they're no less dangerous and no less problematic to the people at large and the wildlife and fisheries that, you know, are, are being pickled in this stuff. Uh, so instead of doing the right thing, you know, once again, these politicians want to just waste money and uh, in the process take away your natural rights to use the Great Lakes as you see fit as a recreational angler, as a boater, etc. Uh, even impacting the charter captain business, they don't care. Um, but Senator George Borrello cares. He's got this moratorium out there. It's in the Senate NCON Committee, S6314. I urge everybody to take a stand. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, if you're, if you're Republican. We all need healthy, fresh water. And this should be the issue of the day for all of us to come together and in one unified voice say enough is enough. Our kids not yet born deserve to have clean, healthy, fresh water from the natural resource that represents 21% of the world's surface potable fresh water research. Bar none, period. If anybody would like to argue with me on that, I would be more than happy to discuss all this with you. Uh, but this is, uh, it's crystal clear, you know, if we want to keep our good fishing, we want to keep our, our healthy water, we need to, to support George Borello and his efforts. And, uh, you know, this is just for New York State. We actually would like to see the United States follow suit with Canada and put a joint permanent moratorium in place on offshore wind turbine development in any open waters of the Great Lakes in perpetuity. Uh, we just, it's something that we can't afford to do. The costs are too high to develop it out. Five times or greater the cost of a terrestrial wind factory. And regardless of where it's located, whether it's on land, up on a mountaintop, or out in the middle of the, the waters where there's, uh, you know, perceivably and conceivably, in theory, uh, nothing to stop the wind or break the wind, etc. There should be more wind out there. Well, I've been out there on that lake on those days where there isn't any wind. And, you know, when the wind doesn't blow, you still get no electricity. And according to the science behind the industrial grid, you can't have a power plant that doesn't generate electricity in the power grid. If you want to have your own private little power plant that doesn't generate electricity to serve your own needs, have at it. Caveat emptor. But this is industrial power and the science behind the industrial grid, which is what is ignored by the zealots, um, is crystal clear and hasn't changed. We don't need to reimagine power plants. We need to understand and embrace that 24-7 electrical energy demands 24-7 sources of electrical energy, and wind and solar do not accomplish that at all at all not even in their wildest dreams folks and we understand that you want to save the planet you're not going to save it from plant food um, without carbon dioxide in the atmosphere uh, plants do not create beta cellulose they do not or beta glucose which creates cellulose they do not have the byproduct of oxygen and life on earth ceases to exist that's their idea of saving the planet um, it's absolutely ridiculous you know, it just dovetails on the, uh, their, their need for greed and, uh, you know, looking to add that 55 cents a gallon tax on gasoline and home heating oil. It's not just 55 cents a gallon tax, it's 55 to 98 cents a gallon tax. So, you know, folks, the good news is these things aren't built. We still have time and we can still go after it. But, you know, my time is up today, folks. Um, and believe it or not, um, you know, this is the fastest hour in, uh, in, in podcast history, I guess, folks. So don't worry about a thing and enjoy the great outdoors, and I'll see you next week.